Welcome to the Ortho Eval Pal Podcast, where we can help you build confidence with your orthopedic evaluation and management skills. We hope you enjoy the show. And now, for your host, Paul Marquis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 115 of the Ortho Eval Pal Podcast. I am your host, Paul Marquis, and today we are going to be talking about the supraspinatus muscle. And I thought we would talk about this um, because. Here in northern Maine, we have lots of ice, lots of snow, uh, and recently I've been seeing a ton of shoulder injuries uh, related to people slipping on the ice, um, you know, shoveling, falling funny, um, fracturing the greater tubercle, tearing the rotator cuff, um, inflaming the rotator cuff, and having all kinds of issues there. So I thought we would take some time here uh, with the next couple of episodes and break down the rotator cuff a little bit muscle by muscle, and um, today I thought we would start with the supraspinatus. So we're going to talk about the origin, insertion, innervation of the supraspinatus. Um, most importantly, we're going to talk about its function and how it works, what it does, um, because we want to relate that to how not to damage this rotator cuff, um, especially the supraspinatus after surgery. We're also going to talk about some lookalikes. Okay, what else looks like a supraspinatus problem? And uh, we'll talk a little bit about the treatment of the supraspinatus uh, for um, supraspinatus tendonitis, impingement syndrome, and uh, rotator cuff tear. Uh, but uh, with that, we're not going to get into extreme detail, but we're just going to talk about some tidbits of information that I think you'll find very helpful um, with evaluation of your patients and also uh, with some of the treatment. But before we get started, I would like to uh, just take a moment to hear a word from our sponsors. A good night's sleep is what every body needs. Fresh rest bedding will keep you comfortable all night. Our advanced textiles and weave wicks moisture and also regulates body temperature. This design, coupled with our all-natural organic antimicrobial, eliminates 99.9% of odor-causing bacteria, as well as dust mites, which are an allergen to many. Because our bedding stays fresh longer, it is eco-friendly, as it only requires washing once a month on average. This bedding is also known for its incredible softness. Our antimicrobial is all-natural and organic. No metals, waxes, chemicals, or our sheets will never leach onto or into your skin ever. These sheets are safe for your entire family. Fresh Rest is designed and engineered by Main Lee Technology Group, based in Wells, Maine, and our sheets are made for the USA. Fresh Rest Bedding is only available for purchase through our e-commerce website by visiting freshrestbedding.com. Once again, that's freshrestbedding.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. So we have a lot to talk about today, um, and it's important that we periodically step back and you know get back to the basics and review some of the anatomy. Um, there, there's so much to learn when you go to school, and one of the things I hear, especially when I give uh, lectures and do CME conferences and courses, is... You know, people who have been out into uh, the field and practicing for 10, 15, 20 years, they say, boy, if I could just go back to anatomy lab and do gross anatomy um, and just review some of these things. So um, we don't have a, a gross anatomy lab with us today, uh, but uh, I thought we would just break down uh, the supraspinatus muscle and get into the nitty gritty here just so we can um, get a little more specific with it and understand it a little bit better. So, you know, first of all, let's start talking about the 
the anatomy and, and where it or originates. So if you look at the scapula, there is a spine to that scapula, and the supraspinatus sits just above that in the supraspinatus fossa, okay? And then from there, it travels laterally below the coracocromial roof and inserts into the upper facet of the greater tubercle. Okay, so just imagine where that travels. Um, think about the, um, the supraspinatus tendon, and the most inferior portion of that tendon is very intimately involved in the joint capsule. And so remember that because it's kind of like, and I've talked about this in other uh, episodes, it's kind of like uh, having a t-shirt on and then putting some glue on it and then putting a sweater on top of that and letting it dry. Well, if you pull on that sweater, the t-shirt comes with it. So you need to be thinking about that inferior portion of the tendon of the supraspinatus and how it attaches just like that to the capsule. So people who have like adhesive capsulitis may have some difficulty activating their rotator cuff and uh, supraspinatus because of that that stiffness and tightness. And so it's important that you loosen them up and have them work more independently um, to have better function. So the supraspinatus is innervated by the suprascapular nerve, all right? And that nerve is derived from the C4, C5, C6 nerve roots, more specifically C5. It seems to be the bigger innervation here. Um, And so that is very, very important to remember now, okay? And so with that being said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put links to three different videos in the show notes of this show today. So I'm going to have a patient who has a C5 nerve root compression, a somebody with a suprascapular nerve injury, and somebody with a supraspinatus tear. Okay, so these are all actual patients with actual injuries, but take a look at how they all look so similar in regards to their motion, their weakness, um, and and how we kind of tease out one from the other. Okay, so it's very important that you, um, whenever you see somebody with some shoulder issues, you start off with reflex testing um, and um, make sure that you rule out that C5 uh, to make sure there isn't uh, something underlying going on there because these lookalikes can certainly mimic these problems and you could go down the uh, wrong path with the wrong treatment and um, and keep it you know keep that in mind what is the action of the uh, rotator cuff or the uh, supraspinatus well it primarily initiates abduction so the first 30 degrees 0 to 30 degrees is where it really starts to activate to help abduct the arm it helps to approximate the humerus into the glenoid okay um, and that's very very important because the deltoids have this very linear pull when the deltoids contract it just wants to elevate and superiorly uh, drive that humeral head up but the um, supraspinatus helps to depress the humeral head as the deltoids do that. So they kind of work concomitantly together to help get that great abduction and flexion motion. Now, the supraspinatus also has a little bit of, um, you know, it also helps to externally rotate the shoulder some. So I always test external rotation when I'm suspicious of a supraspinatus uh, injury. 
So remember, the really the most important part is that the supraspinatus helps to depress that humeral head. We'll talk about that a little more specifically as we go on in the show today. Um, where does the supraspinatus refer pain to? Well, mostly to the deltoid. The lateral deltoid area, it's very, very, very common for people who have impingement or who have a torn uh, supraspinatus to complain of pain in the lateral deltoid region. Um, and I, I even have seen people you know, receive injections or receive treatment to the lateral deltoid when it's actually a supraspinatus problem. Um, that happens quite often. But this is a very common referral uh, pattern of pain for the supraspinatus. Now, oftentimes we think about a muscle that is torn or inflamed becoming atrophied, okay? And it's difficult to see atrophy of the supraspinatus because overlying that is that large upper trapezius muscle. And so it's it's difficult to see and it's also difficult to palpate because there's a lot of trigger points in the um, upper trap also. So you can palpate in there, but I don't use palpation of the supraspinatus belly as an indicator of um, a supraspinatus injury, okay? But they may have some trigger points in there that can be addressed to help with the function. The next thing, um, if somebody has x-rays, the one thing that you're looking for is superiorly a superiorly migrated humeral head in the glenoid. Because remember, that supraspinatus helps to depress the humeral head and hold it in the glenoid in a, in a better position. But if it's torn or if it's not functioning at all, it's shut down or completely atrophied, that humeral head will ride superiorly. And it if it's really up high, um, you need to be suspicious of a tear, especially if there was some sort of a mechanism of injury to that shoulder. Um, how do I like to test these clinically? Well, you know, I, I've evaluated probably a thousand or more rotator cuffs and shoulders, uh, definitely more than that, over the years. And interestingly, I came across a study that you know interviewed and asked shoulder specialists, what were your favorite uh, special tests to perform? And um, what were some of the diagnostic uh, testing that you did in the office that helped you to conclude that the patient had a supraspinatus tear? And it, interestingly enough, a majority of them picked probably you know 15 to 20 tests that they used most often and um, and they were all very similar and very similar to what I use in the clinic um, to try to identify if somebody has a supraspinatus impingement or even a tear of the supraspinatus. So one of the things I start with is the empty can test um, with that thumb turned down and the arm and the plane of the scapula, give them a little bit of resistance and see how they tolerate that. If it's very painful and weak, they could have uh, you know inflammation of the tendon that causes that. I always look to see if they shrug and, and hike the shoulder a little bit um, if they have some weakness associated with that because that's quite common with a supraspinatus uh, tear. I also test uh, resisted abduction, external rotation, and flexion. And interestingly enough, all three of those will be affected by supraspinatus tendonitis or tear um, because you, you need to remember that that supraspinatus helps to depress the humeral head so that the deltoids can function well. So if it's not doing its job, the delts will not respond as well either. Um, and therefore, you'll notice some weakness into those ranges. Then I'll do a, a Nears test and I'll do a Hawkins-Kennedy test to see if there's some impingement involved with this. Um, 
And I always leave palpation for last. Now, if I'm looking for a supraspinatus, you know, tendonitis, subacromial impingement type issue, um, I will palpate that greater tubercle. I'll make sure that I'm not in the bicipital groove because it's very difficult to identify the difference between a bicipital tendonitis and a supraspinatus tendonitis. But if you can get into that groove and follow that biceps down into the musculotendinous junction, if it's not tender there, um, then, you know, uh, you, you can be thinking more supraspinatus. Um, impingement or tendonitis. But remember this, it's very common to have both of them inflamed and both of them irritated. So I commonly will treat the two of them kind of simultaneously if we have that type of presentation. Let's talk a little bit about painless weakness. So you test your patient and they have a considerable amount of weakness, but they say, you know what, I have really no pain. Um, I'll always remember this, one of the first rotator cuff patients I had ever seen, um, and he had a super, a large, massive supraspinatus um, uh, tendon tear. And he could not lift his hand off his side whatsoever. And he had zero pain at all. Even when we tried to test it or did a drop arm test or even an empty can test, the arm would just drop by his side. Um, And because of the nature of the tear being so large, there was no tissue that was being stressed anymore or basically torn or tearing as you are testing them, um, it doesn't cause as much discomfort. So uh, remember that if they have painless weakness, it could be a very large tear. But you also need to remember that there are other issues in the background that could be causing painless weakness, like a neurological lesion. So a suprascapular nerve injury or a C5 nerve root compression um, could cause painless weakness. And the way I differentiate the two is that a neurological lesion usually has a very um, graded type of weakness. So the patient's trying to contract, but there's nothing there, but it's very smooth. Whereas when somebody has a tear or tendonitis, it's a, it'll cog. Uh, and typically there's something trying to resist there a little bit, but um, that's how I differentiate the two. Some of the very important considerations here uh, when dealing with supraspinatus issues. A loss of supraspinatus function, so because of inflammation, impingement, um, you know, um, you know fu- functional issues can cause um, some supraspinatus weakness and the superior labrum and glenoid will start to degenerate quickly because if you have a tear of the supraspinatus or inflammation of the supraspinatus, you will get a superior migration of that humeral head into that superior labrum and into the glenoid, and it will break that joint down early. It will cause a lot of pain, and you can end up with some early osteoarthritis because of that. The other thing you need to remember is that um, palpate the AC joint. If there is a spur over the superior aspect of the AC joint, you need to be thinking that there could possibly be a spur underneath the AC joint. Well, remember, that is exactly where that supraspinatus rides back and forth. So if there's a spur there and that supraspinatus is going back and forth in that spur, it's going to fray it and cause some irritation, inflammation, and pain, and that could be a problem. So when people have x-rays, it's important to look for that 
a humeral head to make sure it's placed in the glenoid appropriately. It's important to look at the acromion to see if it is a grade 1, grade 2, or grade 3. So grade 3 meaning it's hooked down quite far, causing an early impingement of the supraspinatus when you elevate the arm. And looking at the AC joint to see if there's a large spur um, inferiorly that could be uh, rubbing on the supraspinatus. So take those things into consideration when um, evaluating your patients that it may not just be a tendinous problem, but there may be other structures causing the inflammation um, in that area. Remember this, that the supraspinatus tendon, when inflamed, can look just like a rotator cuff tear because when it's inflamed and in pain, um, you can have reflex inhibition. So it can shut down that rotator cuff, it can shut down the supraspinatus, and it can become weak. So some people will fall and significantly impinge the supraspinatus tendon and cause some irritation, inflammation, the bursa will get swollen and painful, and therefore the rotator cuff will shut down and not function very well. So they will look just like a complete rotator cuff tear, um, and then you give them a couple days, they take an anti-inflammatory, they let it rest a little bit, and then all of a sudden they start to elevate that arm and they, they start to do well, okay? So I don't always jump the gun when I see somebody the day of an injury, um, and if I'm suspicious, of a tear, I usually give them a couple of days, let them settle down, then I reassess them to see if they're showing some improvement. Um, because I've seen people, um, you know, come in two, three, four days later and have great range of motion when the day after the injury they could not elevate that arm off their side. Um, another consideration, and this is, uh, I have not looked up the uh, the literature or the research on this, but this is my personal opinion, just from what I've seen over the years. When somebody tears their supraspinatus, that supraspinatus tendon will retract. And over time, you'll develop some scarring on the end of that tear. And um, in my opinion, if you're really suspicious that somebody has a decent-sized tear, I would try to get them over to an orthopedic specialist right away to um, to assess it and to see you know how bad their pain level is, to see how bad the retraction is, how big the tear is um, by MRI or um, other diagnostic testing because in my opinion if that supraspinatus is retracted the further it is retracted the harder it is to pull back into place um, and to put at its original footprint and uh, therefore and also if there's some scarring there and they have to do um, you know uh, modify the surgery because of that scarring um, you end up with a shorter rotator cuff and it doesn't heal as well and so I'm a big advocate of getting uh, these patients in quickly and if they need surgery um, in my my opinion the sooner the better but of course I am not a an orthopedic uh, surgeon and I'm sure there's a lot of data on uh, when that time is appropriate but I always think the the sooner the better especially when you can identify it um, some of the things that uh, you need to know about supraspinatus tendonitis when it comes to treating it um, you want to improve the capsular mobility. Remember we talked about the capsule and the tendon being very closely entwined and um, one can affect the other. The other thing is that people with posterior capsular tightness seem to have more impingement because that humeral head migrates anteriorly and therefore the uh, subacromial space gets impinged. The greater tubercle and uh, acromion will butt up against each other a little bit faster. Um, so uh, it's important that you increase that posterior capsular mobility to try to uh, bef before you try to do overhead activities with supraspinatus uh, patients 
I'm huge on um, strengthening right away, especially for impingement syndrome or uh, supraspinatus tendonitis. And here is why we need that strong supraspinatus to help depress that humeral head. Okay, and then we also want to put a load on the supraspinatus so that it can start to heal itself, bring some blood flow to the area, and just increase that tensile um, strength so that it can take a load. So that's very important that um, you strengthen it, but you avoid those activities of impingement like, you know, a repetitive overhead activity or cross-body horizontal adduction, especially with uh, internal rotation of the uh, shoulder. So I like to get these folks moving. I like to use an upper body bike, um, and uh, also um, I play place them onto a postural program, posture, posture, posture. Um, you know, if you try it right now, sit in your chair and um, sit up nice and straight and flex your shoulders all the way up overhead, they'll go up beautifully. But if you take your shoulders and squeeze them together and then try to flex your shoulders and bring your arms up overhead, you're going to feel, it's going to be very uncomfortable. You're just going to get this abutment um, of your greater tubercle into the acromion and um, it's just not comfortable. So we teach people how to improve their posture all the time when we treat shoulder dysfunction. Um, another consideration, injections. If somebody has an injection, um, you know, it can be helpful. A lot of people say, well, an injection is going to be temporary. Well, in my opinion, if we can decrease that inflammation and swelling of the tendon and bursa, which is right in that, all in that area, um, you decrease the inhibition of the supraspinatus, and therefore it will start to activate better. You'll get better humeral head depression and less impingement. Um, so if people can get some decrease in inflammation, I take advantage of that and I start them on their program um, to get them going. Now, lastly, and most importantly, let's talk about the supraspinatus that has been repaired. And after surgery, how do we prevent from, from damaging that newly reconstructed supraspinatus? And now I say it like the supraspinatus is injured alone okay and, and very seldomly is it only a supraspinatus problem because that cuff is a is called the cuff for a reason um it, it blends right into um the rest of the cuff and so um it doesn't always uh have an isolated tear but sometimes it does and sometimes it is the the biggest tear okay and in my opinion one of the most important um, muscles of the rotator cuff so how do we not injure this thing after surgery. Now, there are different protocols on when people start therapy afterwards. We're not going to get into that. The whole treatment part is very controversial. It seems like um, many uh, surgeons with different protocols, many therapists with different approaches. Um, and maybe I do a podcast just on the treatment of rotator cuffs after um after surgery because we've had excellent success with these and um, we uh, have a few secrets that we like to use um, that would be helpful. So maybe we do that when we get done our anatomy on the rotator cuff. Um, but if you if you have an isolated supraspinatus tear and repair, you want to remember that early on after surgery, you want to avoid active abduction, flexion, and external rotation especially. Okay, And then you want to avoid passive, internal rotation, adduction, and extension. 
all for the reasons that we talked about earlier about the actions of the supraspinatus, okay? So we don't want to overstretch it, and we don't want to overcontract it, okay? So um, selective tissue tension, as we've talked about in the past, we don't want to overtension that. Um, remember, sling position is very important. Um, and so having the arm in, in a nice position, especially with the bumper there, um, into abduction uh, helps to put the rotator cuff on rest a little bit, so it's not constantly in tension. And interestingly, um, recently I, I had seen a study that was on um, EMG of the rotator cuff during activities. And even people who were instructed very uh, specifically on how to take a shirt on and take a shirt off um, and put a sling on and take a sling on off showed significant activation of the supraspinatus when doing these activities after, you know, uh, in the non-surgical patient. So it's very, very important that you teach these patients after surgery how to not um, strain their cuff and how to more appropriately put on a shirt, take off shirt, and put on a sling. Another very interesting thing is, uh, and, I, and I like to use pulleys, um, but using pulleys in the plane of the scapula puts more um activation and tension on the supraspinatus than going in the straight sagittal plane straight up. So um, it's very important that um, you modify that a little bit just to take some tension off of that cuff. So whew, there's a lot of stuff there. And um, if you have any questions regarding that, please uh, feel free to get in touch with me at paul at orthoevalpal.com. Uh, for those of you who um, feel like you know you may be frustrated with um, the evaluation of patients or maybe your patients cancel on you a lot or uh, don't come back after a couple of visits and uh, and or maybe you just don't have the confidence uh, when making a decision for the treatment or the management of your patients and uh, you want to sit down with me and do some one-on-one -on -one online coaching uh, I'd be more than happy to do that we've uh, had some folks that we've been working with and uh, with excellent success and um, really uh, it's encouraging to, to see people you know come back the, the next uh, week and see say, you wouldn't believe, you know, I was able to isolate this diagnosis better and then the treatment just became better um, right from that point on out. Um, and also make sure you check out our, um, our website where you can connect with us for the online coaching or check out our webinars. And um, please go on to our YouTube channel. We have uh, videos coming up all the time and we have some really interesting shoulder videos that came up recently, which you'll see in your links to your show notes today. Um, so folks, thank you so much for listening to the Ortho Valpal podcast show. I'm your host, Paul Marquis. And um, till next time, I hope you have a great day. We hope you've enjoyed the show. For some more awesome content, go to orthoevalpal.com. Can't wait to see you there. Thank you.